This is Blooming Transformations with your host, Laura Kossoff. Welcome to Blooming Transformations. I'm Laura Kossoff, and it is a treat to talk with today's guest. Kater Shakoy of Subtle Body Healing began training in mind-body modalities to heal her own illness, educating herself and others about ways of bringing mind and body together to live a happier, more holistic life has been her focus for over 30 years. Her areas of expertise include yoga, craniosacral therapy, subtle body healing, and insight meditation. Welcome, Cater. Hi, nice to be here. Please tell us a little about your work and your journey to where you are now. Um, similar to you, I, I came to this work through my own illness. My last year in college, I was like a steam engine running out of steam. And I had been an athlete, an intercollegiate athlete, so it was really strange. You know, they didn't know what was going on. They were like testing me for brain tumors just because they had no idea, which was not what was happening, thankfully. And so after a couple of years of feeling like I had been beating my head against the wall of the conventional allopathic medical system, I grew curious about alternative health. My main kind of thinking for myself was okay, maybe I'm not going to be healthy and strong like I was before, but I just feel like I don't have to live life in so much pain. Maybe there could be some simple things that I could do every day that could help me to be in less pain. So it was from that mindset that I got curious about alternative modalities. And one of your areas of specialty is craniosacral therapy. So would you explain what craniosacral therapy is? Yeah. Craniosacral bodywork is a distinct body of work. So it was developed originally by osteopaths, in particular Dr. William Sutherland, between about 1900 and 1950, is often considered to be the father of craniosacral. And so osteopathy lays a foundation for craniosacral. The understandings of that body is functions as a unit and yet is interdependent with its environment and with other living beings. And the innate healing capacity of our body-mind complex, and to recognize mind and body are not separate, all those are fundamental principles of osteopathy, which underlie craniosacral. But as a distinct modality, there's a few recognitions that set it apart. And one is that there is movement to the living human skull, that the living human skull is not fused, very subtle movement and we can influence that movement in positive ways. Craniosacral is primarily a light touch modality, so it's a hands-on modality. Most commonly we use about five grams of pressure, which is about the weight of a nickel. So if you think of resting a nickel on the back of your hand and what that feels like. So different from a lot of touch modalities in that way and also different from pure energy work in that it's actually a hands-on modality. Although there's overlaps with energy work, we're working in a very subtle way and we don't want to manipulate or overly influence the body. We want to be very attentive to the physiology. So we place hands on with specific holds and stay there usually for several minutes, sometimes even maybe 10 or 15 minutes in one hold. And we're listening for a pulse in the body called the cranial wave or CRI, cranial rhythmic impulse, sometimes called the tide. 
This is a pulse that functions at about 8 to 12 cycles a minute. So if you think of your heart rate as what I would call like a gross body pulse at about 60 beats a minute, the cranial wave is much more subtle, much more gentle, but can definitely be tracked. That's one of the things that a cranial practitioner learns to do is to stay connected to that pulse, which can be felt anywhere in the body. Even though it has a close association with the movement of cerebrospinal fluid, cerebrospinal fluid is inside those membranes that surround your spinal nerves there in the spinal column, and then within your head, cushioning your brain from the skull. And that's primarily where we find cerebrospinal fluid. The cranial wave, or the tide, CRI cranial rhythmic impulse, is spread through the body through the fascia. So there's this subtle pulse that you can feel anywhere in the body from the feet from a hand, from the leg, or from the head. And that's what we're really tracking. Is the tide getting smoother? Is it getting more spacious? Is it getting more cohesive? I can feel where it's disconnected. And that's an indication, probably someone's in a lot of pain if the cranial wave is not going to a part of their body. So it's a gentle, hands-on modality, and we're listening for the inner rhythms of the body and trying to honor those and work with them skillfully to bring more balance and more, uh, more health and well-being, more harmony on the inner sense. And is it similar to the philosophy of naturopathic medicine, of removing anything that's getting in the way of the body's natural ability to heal itself? Yeah, more than that, harnessing the body's innate capacity for healing. So what are the obstacles? Why is health not manifesting? And to just work in this really gentle, integrative way to invite the best possibility for the person. And quieting the central nervous system, is that often a result of a craniosacral session? Craniosacral is excellent for, uh, for nervous system work among the best modalities. So that's one of the wonderful benefits. And interestingly, from my perspective as a cranial practitioner, it's kind of a side benefit. It's not really our primary intent. Our primary intent is wellness of the individual and their sense of interconnectedness. But usually within five to 10 minutes of placing hands on, people will start to get very relaxed. It's not uncommon someone falls asleep. It's more like a deep relaxation associated with the work. Working with that cranial wave, because the cerebrospinal fluid is so closely associated with the central nervous system, that central nervous system is one of five key components of the craniosacral system, as Dr. Sutherland envisioned it. And what kind of issues are commonly treated with craniosacral bodywork? Yeah, good question. One might imagine with its speciality with the working with the cranial bones, any kind of head injury, TBI, traumatic brain injury, concussions. It's one of the few things that you can actually do that will help improve that situation. Most common medical advice for TBI and concussion is rest. And then depending on the level of injury, there'll be some therapeutics involved. But craniosacral is something you can do that actually can help. Because we're working with the sophisticated structures inside the cranium, inside the head, the membrane system and the cerebrospinal fluid and the brain itself and the other internal organs, we can 
work to balance out the system after a blow to the head or after a whiplash, headaches, jaw tension, migraines, regulating a woman's hormonal cycle, and then things that might seem further from the head because it's actually working with the whole body. So like sciatica, digestive issues, systemic nervous system issues, which can manifest anywhere in the body and structural issues like scoliosis. Craniosacral therapy, as you mentioned, is based on the theory of the interconnection of structure and function. Would you speak more about that? Yeah, form follows function. That's Wolf's Law. Wolf was a German anatomist, I think in the late 1800s. And so he developed the theory, the, the understanding of how you use your body lays a foundation for how it will grow and develop. And particularly with regards to the bones, we don't often realize that. Of course, that understanding has influenced elder care and people post-surgery, particularly the last 20 years. It used to be you had a surgery and you were told to rest. Now they're going to get you up as quickly as possible because they've learned how quickly people lose their functioning. So that is an example of soft form follows function. That's fundamental to craniosacral, that understanding, how that plays out. That's where my work as a yoga therapist comes in and how those modalities intertwine. Yeah, and as a practitioner with several skill sets, how do you combine your training and skills in craniosacral therapy, yoga, subtle body healing, and mindfulness to help your clients find healing? Yeah, thanks. It's so much fun to integrate modalities. It really is a joy for me. The first thing is that I'm trying to meet people where they're at. So some people just are like, my back hurts, help me. And they just want to lie on the table and receive, which craniosacral is delightful for. Some people are more interested in being engaged in the in the process of healing. Some people are more body-based, so they're willing to do some yoga poses or simple postural alignment techniques. And some people are more interested in a kind of more receptive mindfulness approach where they uh, might learn to sit and do breath awareness. It's really delightful to have these different skills and to share them. With craniosacral, I can offer the therapeutic yoga application where people can really become empowered. Yoga is so empowering for people to understand how they use their body makes a difference, how they sit, how they stand, how they walk. And so we can develop a yoga program for them. And usually I just give them one pose at a time. We kind of, over several weeks, build up a little 20 minute or 30 minute program for them, which if they keep practicing, they'll realize it, it makes a big difference. One of my recent guests was a physiotherapist. She's also a yoga teacher and does something called physio yoga. It combines physiotherapy with yoga. And I was grateful to have a recent session with her, a virtual session. And because of some of the health issues that I've gone through, I thought I can't do that much yoga. But she was able to guide me through some very gentle exercises. And I've really started building up my strength. It's amazing how empowering it is when your body feels strong and aligned. It's been an incredibly powerful experience, so I can attest to how it changes everything when you feel that strength and capability. I can yeah. hear that. Yeah, it's, I do sometimes have to bait people into it. It can be a big step for people. But then if they take it on, they definitely feel the benefits. 
And then the other side is the mindfulness piece where, you know, mindfulness acts as a form of biofeedback in a way where we train in this self-awareness of what our own mind is doing. We can do that through sitting and breathing. We can do that through loving kindness, learning to hold ourselves with compassion. And we can do that through just becoming self-reflective, just taking these moments here and there to take a break so we can start to notice the ebb and flow of our emotions. And so when people have emotional responses, they don't always understand it, right? So the mindfulness becomes the tool for seeing why we're reacting in the way we are. It also becomes the possibility of feeling our emotions as they arrive or feeling our body pain, being with it in the moment, and thus having less of a reaction, more of um, the capacity to stay with our experience, which has tremendous health benefits. Along those lines, you mentioned to me that when you're working with a client who is experiencing pain, you are able to help them reframe their experience. How do you use mindset to help in this process? No one likes pain. Learning to hold a different relationship to the body and the mind is definitely a process. Talking with them about their experience and asking them if it's possible for them to just be there for a minute or two, maybe even directing them to breathe into that space, or if pain is overwhelming, it's extremely helpful to breathe into a different part of the body where there is not pain to direct your attention to some place that feels more at ease. And then checking in, you know, a minute or two later and seeing how is it, you know, is it still there? And so they see for themselves the arc that it comes up and then it passes away and it's not a continuous event. You and I have both been on our own journeys of working through our own health issues. We've each had to advocate for ourselves and forge our own paths to find healing and get answers. What would you share with someone who may be suffering but not finding the answers they need for their own healing? Yeah, excellent question. It's really hard. It's really painful. And this one we both know in the years of uh, struggling with chronic illness and not getting answers and or I mean, and so many things can happen, you know, you're can you can be rejected as, mm-hmm. a, as a patient because you, the doctor doesn't like that you aren't getting better. <laughs> We're asking a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That you're advocating for yourself. They, they they don't like that. And as a woman, that can be even more so. That can be amplified since many doctors are men. And the conventional allopathic medical model training is that the doctor knows the answer. You know, so that makes it hard for a doctor when they don't know the answer. Right. Well, what I say and what I try to say, what I try to do is the first is just to be really present mm-hmm. in a non-judgmental way, to just listen to someone's experience, to validate mm-hmm. their experience, that whatever you're experiencing is completely valid. There's not a right or wrong experience. And then to not give up on mm-hmm. advocating for yourself and to consider investigating a range of modalities. I have a dream of healthcare of the future which is that instead of it being a top-down approach where the MD is king and then they decide what else is beneficial, that there's a circle of distinct practitioners 
There could be a clinic where there's an MD, traditional Chinese medical doctor, Indian Ayurvedic practitioner, and craniosacral, and massage therapy, and physical therapy. And they're all equal. And they kind of approach the condition from, well, who can help here? And then that can be presented because people have different affinities. Like some people really love body work and some people like to do their own thing. So like yoga and mindfulness, some people are more body-based, some people are more mind-based. Some people love herbology. For me, herbology has been a huge asset for my healing path. Other people are like, you know, I'm just not going to remember to take those herbs. To be open-minded about approaches and to trust your instincts, what you feel drawn to. Yeah, I agree with that philosophy. Often when working with people with fibromyalgia, my approach is to think of finding a team, a healthcare team, that's not just one doctor who's going to have one answer, but to consider what do you need? Do you need acupuncture, massage therapy, meditation, someone to talk to? really looking at the whole picture of your life. And do you need someone to help you with errands? What do you need to feel supported and be supported in your body and your life? And it's so important to honor yourself and listen to yourself. If you're not getting the answers you want, still listen to yourself. I had to do that. Doctors would say, well, I can't find anything wrong. But just because they couldn't find anything wrong didn't mean that everything was right. So listen to yourself and believe in yourself. I believed in myself and knew that they just weren't finding something, but that there was something going on. And it took me 20 years, but I have found the answers I was looking for. So I encourage people not to give up, keep looking keep researching, keep asking, and find practitioners that you feel comfortable and safe with who respect you and your experience. You founded a nonprofit called Youth Yoga Dharma that offers tools of yoga and mindfulness to young people, as well as international training programs. And in your healing practice, many of your clients are young. So how have these experiences and working with young people in general informed your understanding of wellness and healing? Youth Yoga Dharma has been an awesome journey. It just came out of work starting in about 2000. I just started to get a lot of invitations to work with youth. I think that was when yoga sort of opened up, became huge in the U.S. And I had worked with kids a fair amount, so maybe I was known as that. And it started to come my way quite a lot and it's so rich uh, to empower young people you know part of it was for me was like I just wish I had had these skills so the yoga and mindfulness for me they go together and so I share them together with children as with adults as with how I practice in my life to be invited on an inner journey and to be invited to learn self-reflective skills all school ages but I particularly enjoyed teenagers I just found the work to be really rich and there was a lot of interest and enthusiasm. And so then the nonprofit was a natural outgrowth. And then in my private practice, I have always worked with children. About 30% is children from infant and newborn to school age. And you can address a lot of issues. 
Behavioral issues can be from a wide range of causes. So they can be that there's something in the physiology that is really uncomfortable for the child and they lack the language to articulate that. And so if you address the physiology, it can help them to be more at ease in their body and mind. Behavioral issues can also be because membranes are restricted and that's actually impacting brain function because there's a lot of membranes inside the skull, inside the head supporting the brain. And if those membranes are restricted, then it can impact the brain functioning and then that can manifest as a behavioral issue. So a lot of things can kind of disappear with craniosacral. And then health issues, things that would develop into a health issue can be short-circuited, like scoliosis can be addressed early on. The things that would lay a foundation for scoliosis, structural imbalances can be addressed early on. The work with children is really delightful because it can have big impacts for the entire family or small impacts either way. But it's all about relationships. Of course, we're working with the physiology, but it became clear to me early on, oh, I have to be an advocate for everyone in the family, not just, at first I thought I had to be an ally for the child. And then I realized, no, I have to be an advocate for the parents too. So it's a really interesting relational dance and journey to work with children and thus uh, work with the whole family. This has been such a fascinating and enriching conversation. To learn more about Cater's work, please visit her website, catershakoy.com. I will include this link on my podcast page on Buzzsprout and also with the podcast listings on my website. Cater, thank you very much for talking with us today, for sharing your journey and wisdom. You do such great work bringing healing to others and empowering them through education to have the tools to support their own health and wellness. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Really lovely to share a little time with you. Thank you for offering this podcast and inviting people into new perspectives on healing. Thank you very much for listening. This is Laura Kossoff. To learn more about my work, please visit my website, bloominglifepossibilities.com. The contents of this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and not intended as medical advice. Please consult with qualified health professionals on any matters relating to your own health and wellness.